0: Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Who's ready for some Bible teaching? Awesome, more than three hands this week. I'm excited too. Let's get going. Uh, Who here knows what a family crest is? People who love history or studied their heritage. So this is a very... English and French thing, but you've definitely seen it. Um, Now that I'm gonna describe it, you're gonna see it more. A lot of businesses have them as well. A family crest, a lot of people think, started to evolve perhaps in the 11th century in Northern France. The idea of using symbols to identify a family, particularly on the battlefield. This is before what we would today call a nation where England was a very loose concept, France was a, well, perhaps pre-Charlemagne, not even a concept, and families or large clans fought each other and you could look up and see what was painted on their shield or on their armor, and you'd go, oh, kill you or don't kill you, right? Today, in businesses, institutions, educational institutions, uh, or, or just families, castles will have these, And what's really cool about them is not just that they're artistic and that they are pretty, but what evolved culturally over the decades and centuries was that the emblems within the crest all had meaning of what was important to the family. So you and I today, it's very rare, you know, the industrialized world is very, very literate, it's uncommon to run across an adult who didn't get the chance to learn how to read. We, in our businessy approach in the 21st century, we would, I don't know, put our core values on a written list and stick it up on the wall. But for hundreds of years, especially when the peasantry, you know, an easy 95, 97% of the population did not read, but you needed to know who was who, this is how you communicated. And so it's very common when you look at some crests, you see an open book and everybody who's an expert on crests will say, that's not any book, that's the Bible. This is saying we're devoted to God. Um, Other obviously biblical symbols like uh, the dove. This is a family who might be ready for war, but we don't desire it. We desire peace and that's what we value. Grapes on a grape branch a symbol of prosperity. God has blessed us and we wanna turn around and be generous because of what God has given us. All of these things could be immediately unpacked by anybody who just looked up and saw the picture within the shield. There are for four or five animals on the outside, all kinds of things, the type of, like this one has a crown on top, so there's, royal, there's, there's title that goes with this one. Um, many of them were just more military in their nature. Uh, we are coming across today and for the next seven weeks perhaps the most succinct and powerful piece of scripture to tell us that we are a family and what are the markers that makes the family of God the family of God. Here's how you know that Jesus is smiling at your behavior, smiling at your attitude, smiling at your heartbeat this is what the family of God's crest looks like. This is what we value in the family of God because Jesus told us to value it, not because we decided, right? When we decide, we come up with silly things like children can't run in the sanctuary because the carpet is sacred. Anybody been in a church? Well, you don't have to raise your hand, right? And I was reading this book and it said, Where there are no oxen, the stall is clean. The Bible says that. Are you gonna celebrate that the stall is clean? You have no oxen. And the very next line is, how's harvest gonna go for you? You're gonna celebrate that your carpet is clean, but you have no children in your church. What's the future of your church without children? When we build our definitions of the family of God from our preferences instead of from scripture, what we get is a disaster. That's what we get. We get a disaster. And so turn with me to Acts 242. I guess you're already there. I'm the one who's slow on the uptake. And we're going to do something different because I know you guys are change addicts. You love it, changing stuff left and right because that's what church folks are. You're change junkies. I can see it. I'm not gonna read you the scripture this week. We are gonna read the scripture together as a corporate reading. Anybody come from a background that's a little more liturgical and you're excited? We're gonna do a scripture reading. Nobody? Two of us. All right, two of us are excited. We're gonna do a scripture reading together as a family and we're gonna do it twice for the purpose of trying to memorize it together over the next seven weeks. The second time through the text, some words are gonna be left out. It's open in your lap so you can cheat. Amen? All right. Read with me, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Amen. Was that beautiful? It was all good news and no bad news, right? So we love texts like this. Church attendance is gonna be high the next seven weeks. Okay, now here's where I'm gonna challenge you. Ready? I'm not gonna read out loud. So take a deep breath of air, loud and proud. Ready? One, two, three all the believers and to fellowship and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their land and possessions and the money of those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's supper their meals with oh, great Praising God and enjoying the good will of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Holy Spirit, we ask you to bless the teaching of your word. Help our hearts to drink this in. Make our hearts soft, God, in the places where our hearts want to be stubborn. In the great name of Jesus we pray, amen. We're going to address two questions today, and that's it. So you know it'll be a really short sermon. It's the most natural thing if you're going to take the Scripture seriously. What is the Apostle's teaching, and what does the devotion to the Apostle's teaching look like? First thing, we're going to do really fast. It's on one slide, it's so fast. The sermon is in the second question. What is the apostles' teaching? The church 2,000 years ago, Luke writes this down and says they were devoted to it, but what is it? How can you be devoted to something when you don't even know what it is, right? They were proclaiming to anybody who'd listen, here's who Jesus is, right? You guys remember Peter's sermon? I know it's been a few months now, but Peter's sermon, man, this Jesus was Lord and Christ and you killed him. But it's okay, God raised him from the dead, right? This is what the apostles are teaching. Who Jesus is, what he did, especially his incarnation, his sinless life and teachings, his suffering, death, resurrection, ascending to the right hand of the Father. Those are the highlight reel, right? And what Jesus taught. This is really important. This sounds inane. Guys, Bible teachers aren't allowed to say stuff other than what Jesus said, right? We have a tradition that's going on, it's 21st century now, of repeating what the apostles said and the apostles said what Jesus said. The apostles said what Jesus did. The apostles said who Jesus was. We do not get to make up who Jesus is. We do not get to pretend and make up about what Jesus did and we don't get to make up what we think Jesus said. That's how you start a cult. The thing is, in the United States, we don't see cults for what they are because we're so devoted to our own autonomy that most people have started a cult that only has one member, and they didn't tell anyone else. They just say, well, my Jesus... I keep talking about Talladega Nights, it's a horrible movie, but that that scene where they sit around the dinner table is very poignant, where everybody at the table has their own image of what they want Jesus to be, and they're willing to admit that it's based off their own desires. This is how I like to think of Jesus. And everybody's got their own, essentially, individual religion. We don't get to do that. I'm saying this also to equip you. You guys need to know this is a historical faith. We do not worship a God. Like, there was not a guy in the 90s who had an idea, and then he wrote a book, and then he went on Oprah, and then he got a website later, and then we're all just swooning how excited. No. 2,000 years of people from wildly different cultures, speaking different languages on all six continents, have decided to worship Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of the world. That's bigger than Big. You guys know the Bible was taken off the New York Times bestseller list about 100 years ago because it never changed. The Bible was always number one. There was nothing interesting. In 2023, as pagan as you might feel like American culture is, the Bible is still number one. Why? Because somebody duped 2 billion people into thinking that the tomb is empty. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What does the family of God look like, foundation? We have to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. What do they they teach? Who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what Jesus taught. Now the meat of the sermon. What does it look like to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? This is the scary part because now we're gonna have to do stuff, right? Oh no. (laughs) Please don't make me do nothing. A few answers. Four. Four answers total for those of you who are nervous. It's not 17 things. Listening to their teaching. You want to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? You've got to listen to what the apostles taught. Listen to what the apostles taught. So years ago, I believe it was El Salvador. Uh, This picture is in Japan. Tragically, dog fighting is not only legal, it's a very normal, uh, celebrated pastime. But there was a guy in El Salvador who owned a number of dogs for the express purpose of dog fighting. And he was getting really, really wealthy. He was coming to the end of his life. He had no children. He wanted to leave all of his possessions, including his dogs, he wanted to leave them to his nephew. And he's not feeling well, and he talks with his nephew and says, I'm leaving everything to you. The dogs are yours. The house is yours. And the nephew, amongst other things, he'd said, Uncle, you always place wagers, large wagers, whenever two of your own dogs are fighting each other in the bracket. That's the only time you put money down is when your own dogs are fighting each other and you always guess correctly and you've been very wealthy because of that. How do you know which dog is gonna win and you know Every single time. He said, Nephew, for six days before the fight, I feed one of the two dogs. See, six days isn't enough for the dog to look emaciated. The two dogs still look the same. But the man knows who's going to win. One has energy, one does not. And this is the Christian life. Paul said it this way, oh, what a wretch of a man that I am. I do that which I don't wanna do. And I don't do that which I do want to do. Who will deliver me from this hypocritical, sinful life? And he answers it, Jesus. He's delivering me from my own hypocrisy. You see, the flesh is there and the spirit-born self is there. Our call to action in asking what does it look like to be devoted to the apostles' teaching is to walk out every morning to the two dogs and decide which one we're going to feed. This self was born of the Holy Spirit, the hour I first believed. And this is the old self. He's always been there. Romans 8 says, the flesh and never please God, never did God's will and never will do God's will. There's no maybe, there's no if, there's no my old self sometimes pleases God. No. And there's no my spirit-born self sometimes slips up and sins. No. The spirit-born self, guys, you ready for this? Your new self, if you love Jesus, never, ever sins. Your flesh never, ever does what is right, good, and holy. Ever. That's what Romans 8 teaches us about the two selves. If we're gonna be devoted to the apostles' teaching, it's gonna start with listening to, because if you're new to church, I'm, I'm skipping over something I need to say out loud. Jesus said that his own body and his teachings were the bread of life. Man cannot live by bread alone, but every word that departs from the mouth of God. Like that's how Jesus rebuked Satan, okay? What are you feeding? Am I opening up the word to start the day or am I opening up my news app? Am I, I can open the word or I can scroll through social media to find out how everybody's life is perfect and mine's horrible, right? There are two dogs, only one of them is gonna get fed. Which one? Because there's a fight coming a few days from now that you don't see. And you're determining in advance which dog is gonna win the fight based on which dog you feed. Guys, we get to decide victory. We have to decide it in advance. We get to decide. I'm gonna devote myself to every word that departed from the mouth of God just like my brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago did. In this beautiful snapshot, Acts 2, 42 through 47, in these six verses, it looks like everything's going right, doesn't it? There, there were a couple of tense moments before, and there's some definitely rough stuff coming later in the book, persecution and whatnot. But in this beautiful little image of the church firing on all cylinders, really doing great, honoring the Lord, loving and serving, being a blessing to those around them, in this snapshot, the first thing out of Luke's mouth is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Guys, we don't get to navigate the Christian life apart from this book, individually or as a family. That's nonsense. If this book is closed and dusty, that means we're making it up as we go. The beginning, the first mark of the family crest is a Bible, an open one, a well-worn one. A, Dad, uh, I don't have any money. Could you buy me a new Bible? I just bought you a Bible 18 months ago. I know, Dad, it's worn out. Any Christian dad ever upset about that one? Yeah, nobody. So here's your next step. Read the Bible daily and sit under good Bible teachers. I forgot to under... Oh, no, the underline is there. I just couldn't see it. Read the Bible daily and sit under good Bible teachers. Uh, I'm using a little bit of Hebrew language when I say sit under, but this is really important. Guys, you know the YouTube videos that you choose to listen to matter? You're sitting under the tutelage of somebody who, right? They're telling you what's uh, their view of truth. And there are certain videos where you know you don't agree with them on everything, but you're listening for some other reason. But when it comes to Bible teaching, you're handing a little bit of spiritual authority to that person. When you believe they are a Bible teacher and they're gonna to deliver to you what's true, please be careful. Measure every human teacher, measure them against scripture, their words, and go, is this true? Okay, a practical, another practical, so let me recommend for those of you looking for a podcast, write this in your margins, North Coast Church. North Coast Church in San Diego <laughs> They're clearly suffering for the Lord down there. <laughs> That's rough. That is rough. Uh, North Coast Church, I have list, they have three preachers who are on rotation. I've been listening to them for six or seven years. They are solid. Allow them to feed my soul. If you're looking for, for something you want to do while you're walking your dog or while you're on the treadmill or while you're gardening or whatever you're doing... I could not recommend their church more highly enough. They take the Word of God seriously. They love people. Sometimes their announcements are the exciting part because you hear how they're serving people around them. Um, so that's one example. But a practical example is uh, when we assemble disciple groups to be together after Labor Day up through Thanksgiving. Guys, one of the definitions, and this is a sermon for another day, but one of the definitions of an elder is that we are carefully searching the scriptures in order to teach and protect the flock from bad doctrine. And I do my best, I think the elders do their but to spread the elders out across the groups so that when you get into a disciple group and there's an, an elder or two in that group, you're doing what? You're sitting at the feet of the elders. That elder never, ever is allowed to teach something that the group doesn't agree with on primary doctrines. So you're really sitting under the leadership of all of the elders when you join a group. I just want to encourage you to do that. Second, what does it look like to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? Being held accountable to their teaching? Ah, look at that, you guys didn't erupt in cheering and applause. Oh my goodness. You mean I got to oh. Is the teaching something you're really devoted to it if you purposefully avoid accountability? It's like you join Weight Watchers, but you don't go to the meetings. You drop 700 bucks for a personal trainer, but you don't show up at the appointed time well, he's going to tell me what to do. (laughs) And you're trying to make dietary changes, but you keep hiding food from your spouse. Guilty, my hands up, right? You're trying to avoid the practical accountability of your family or your friends who could join with you to encourage you. Guys, this is not a hobby, This family of faith, we exist to spur one another on toward love and good works, Bible's exact language. Spur one another on, that's encouragement. We are here to encourage you to love God and people the way God defines love and to do good works the way God defines good. We're here to encourage each other toward that end. Being held accountable to the apostles' teaching, hey, let me encourage you, I'm not totally sure Let me be clear about the apostles' teaching. They are repeating everything they heard Jesus say. So think of the Sermon on the Mount, how much Jesus said about ethics. Jesus said in his teachings, don't go to church and drop your large coins in the big uh, ceramic thing, clunk, 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 so that human beings can think well of you. No, no, no. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You can do your giving in secret and your father will see you. So that's a part of the apostles' teachings because it's a part of Jesus' teachings 2,000 years later. Maybe there are practical, there are cultural ways in 2023 where giving could be really braggadocious. It could be really public to be seen by people, right? 12 years ago, in a low point of my life, I worked for Target and I thought it was ironic, hypocritical, and frustrating that as I worked, I had to stare at this huge banner where Target is bragging about how 5% of their proceeds go to help the community. And I'm sitting here going, everybody in this store with a red shirt on is working poor. Like you, you're giving 5% to this nameless, faceless group, and you're spending enough money. Promoting your good deeds, the NFL is also notorious for this. People have already documented that their advertisements cost more than the amount of money they donated. They spend more money telling you, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, like me. Right? So th- there are lots of ways in the world, especially with social media, to let your large coins clink loudly. Are we holding each other accountable? If the person who's clinking loudly calls themselves a Christ follower, are we in close enough relationship that I can give a gentle correction? That's not a foregone conclusion. Do we know each other well enough? Has this person allowed us to be close enough? Do we just exist six feet from each other on Sunday mornings while Greg yaks at us? Or do we actually know each other because we got into a group? If we know each other, now we may be kinda sorta are almost close enough that I've invited this person into my life to help me chase after righteousness. Brothers and sisters, you're not gonna get very far in the Christian life flying solo. You're just not. If you look inside your life and you feel like there's a growth problem, you might have a community problem. You might. A number of years ago, my poor wife who had tried to get through to me multiple times about the way my brain works and the way I communicate. I am very future oriented And I was saying things in marriage, I was saying things in ministry life, about to the future, that to me were dreams for the future, but the way that I said them was concrete. And so I would have folks around me feeling like, wow, this is happening tomorrow, because Greg is so confident and he's stating it this way and blah, blah, blah. And so when it doesn't happen, a bunch of folks are disappointed feel lied to, feel whipped around. And for whatever reason in my pride or whatever's going on, I was not hearing Emily. So she brought in the big guns. She brought in my best friend. How many of you guys know you're not my best friend if you're still afraid of my reaction? (laughs) Hallelujah. Your best friend is not impressed with you. Your best friend will say that sermon was lousy, Greg. And here are 14 different ways to make it better. And he's right, there's nothing you can do. (laughs) And Ken had to come to me and say, hey buddy, I know you know the scriptures. So I'm not teaching you something when you say, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. All other such boasting is evil. And the way you're communicating to your wife and to others it is not serving people, and it's hurting people. And in your head or in your words, what you need to do, you've got to find a way to say, "If the Lord wills, we'll do this. If the Lord wills, I'm going to do that, Because right now you are over-promising and you are underdelivering and you're destroying trust. Guys, did Ken say that to me because he loved me or because he hated me? How many of you guys know love is hard? It has conversations you don't wanna have. You're scared, perhaps, that in their pride, they're gonna chew you out or something. Ken and I, at that point, had put in years and years and years as besties, and so he knew, Emily knew, that he could come and talk to me and maybe Ken would get through to me. Was there a lot of blessing that poured out of that conversation? Who got blessed? Who got blessed that day? I had truth revealed to me, so I got blessed. Who else got blessed? Emily Emily was suffering under it. She got blessed that day. Who else got blessed? An entire church that I didn't even know yet called Foundation got blessed that day. My children got blessed that day. Anybody in the city I'm interacting with got blessed that day. Because one person loved the world and honored the Lord and loved the person enough to say what was true in the context of close relationship that doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen by accident. Brothers and sisters, I was held accountable to the apostles' teaching that day. The apostles had already passed on the teachings of the Lord. I knew them in my head, I wasn't living them. We need to be held accountable to the apostles' teaching. If we do the first part where we listen to the apostles' teaching but we're never held accountable, we could have a church full of Pharisees, right? We know all the facts, we just conveniently don't obey. <laughs> that wouldn't be good. So here's your fill in the blank. Live in authentic community so you get encouragement and correction from spirit-filled siblings. Live in authentic community. If you are flying solo out of fear, I, I need to be firm. I think Satan has you duped. I think Satan has you duped. He's got you covered in shame. They'll never accept me if they knew what I was really like. And that's not true. That is not true. Every person in this room has sinned a thousand different ways. We have no judgment for you because Christ had no judgment for us. Third, here's how you can be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Be transformed by their teaching. Back to the book of James. If it doesn't change you and manifest in good works, was it real? Brothers and sisters, do you read the scriptures with the expectation of being transformed? I don't know about you. When I read out of religious devotion, well, I'm a Christian. I ought to read something today. Nothing in me is expecting transformation. But if I believe it's living and breathing and sharper than a double edged sword, I realize when I open the word I am laying down on the surgeon's table and the great physician is going to take his scalpel called the word and he's going to do something in the scriptures when you read that the bible is sharper than a double-edged sword that is a weird english translation it's not horrible but the word well, the word is a scalpel a sword is there to kill so that it kind of doesn't translate if you receive it as a scalpel, you'll know you are yielding to the Holy Spirit. You're laying down on the table, and the doctor who loves you more than life itself, whose son died to save you, he's going to go inside you and cut something out that does not belong there. That's why we don't read our Bibles. It hurts if we do it right. Sometimes what we need is encouragement. Sometimes we need the tears as we see that God is the God of comfort in 2 Corinthians 1. Sometimes we need the joy of reading the resurrection in Matthew 28. And there are other times where it's doing deep work that hurts and it's that pain where instead of going, wow, the Spirit's doing something beautiful, I want to press into this, we sometimes run. Let me encourage you not to run. Here's your blank. Repent until it becomes second nature. Apologize to your children when you blow up at them, right? Tell your spouse, honey, I was wrong in what I did. That was selfish. Make amends with your coworker over the fight that you had or the misunderstanding. Try your best (laughs) to repent even twice a day in a tangible public relational way If you're not repenting right now, that sounds horrifying. If you're used to repenting, you're laughing in the inside. Just repenting twice a day, Greg? You're kidding, right? Twice a day? (sighs) Repent, guys, repent until it is second nature. Imagine your work with your child, niece, nephew, grandchild. You're trying to do redos because you're trying to reprogram their brain. What they did wasn't a cardinal sin. They didn't punch sister in the face, but there was something small. They struggled with sharing just a little bit. And you saw something in their heart there that was selfish. And you're like, ah, I'd like to address that. And, and you say, honey, we need to do a redo on that. Sister asked for that. She asked nicely. I've said a thousand times, every toy here is daddy's toy, not yours. <laughs> so the only response is, oh, yes, sister, you can have a turn because we share in our family. Let's do a redo. And, and, and you give the child the exact words that you want them to say you're aiming for the heart that you want them to have. Amen? So let's, let's do a redo. Um, guys, are redos just for three-year-olds? See, if God did not believe in redos, you would have sinned and then he would have smote you and there'd be a greasy spot where you used to be sitting. Right? Because if he's all justice and no mercy, well, you sin, it's over for you but you're still sucking wind. He must be merciful and patient. We worship a God of redos. What about this? Serve God and others. You wanna be transformed by the teaching? Serve. Serve God and others. If only we had written that down somewhere, because that's a really good idea. Serve God and others. Serve. If like somebody had, Put it on the wall. Oh, I'm so glad we put that on the wall. Brothers and sisters, James is trying to tell you, you are not transformed by the gospel until you serve other people. That's what the book of James is trying to tell you. Your faith is just a verbal declaration until it manifests in good works. You wanna be transformed by what Jesus taught through the apostles? Repent and serve and repent and serve and repent and serve. And there are other good answers to that too but we don't have all day. Last, because I'm going long. What does it look like to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? Passing on their teaching. Passing on their teaching. How do you receive a gracious gift that is endless in its volume and you don't share the resource? Who here, even if obedience was hard, Who here can testify you've you've struggled and you found a way to obey Christ in an area, and then you look back on it years later and you see, oh my gosh, there was so much blessing waiting for me. You got blessed because you're worshiping a God who loves you. He's not looking to exact a pound of flesh from your back that He already took from the back of Christ. He loves you, He's after your greatest joy in Him. And you've been blessed. Go, please, study Psalm 119 this week if you haven't recently. How does somebody lose their mind? I'm losing sleep. Lord, it's midnight, but I can't sleep because I'm thinking about your your precepts. Lord, I woke up early. I, I wanted to sleep longer, but I'm so excited about your commandments. They are sweeter to my tongue than honey. Your commands are so good. This isn't the heart of a guy who feels constricted by God's law, is it? If God's laws exist for his glory and for your blessing and the blessing of people around you, how on earth do you not take everything that Jesus taught and pass it on? I feel like Jesus said something. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey from time to time when they feel like it. Did I do that right? Mike's—he's vetoing—he's vetoing my great commission rendition. Dag Nabbit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. The great commission is not go and get them saved, declare victory, and leave. That's not the great commission. We're going to make disciples. It doesn't say converts. It says disciples. If we are devoted to the apostles teaching the way that our first brothers and sisters were, we're gonna make disciples. So here's your next step. Tell friends who Jesus is. I don't think there's even a blank on this one. What he did and what he taught. These three components I gave you that I believe are a decent interpretation of the apostles teaching. Tell friends who he is, what he did and what he taught. And then it's 1025. So I'm gonna say this story lightning fast and then we're gonna be done. John D. Rockefeller, had so much money 130 years ago, it would be hard to calculate translating it you know, for inflation, etc. He was an oil man. He had other interests, but he's mostly known for oil. And there were some what came to be called robber barons, some very wealthy men in the 1880s, 1890s, 1900s, that had very different approaches on what they were gonna do with their wealth as it relates to legacy, what they're gonna do uh, when they died. Carnegie famously said, my children aren't getting one red cent because they need the journey. He's like, I'll pay for your college. You're welcome. You know, like that was it. And it's fascinating because, and that's how so many, uh, I think like 1,400 libraries in New England exist because Carnegie bought the land, built them, and then the community donated the books. So he's like, my children aren't getting a penny. Rockefeller took a different route. He knew what the psalmist says. What's the point of wealth? Your kids will be a fool and they'll waste it all anyway. That's in the Bible. (laughs) What's the point of leaving an inheritance? They're all gonna be fools. Rockefeller set up a family trust, which is going to this day, going strong. Could you imagine? In 2023, it's still going strong, where his family members could get money from the trust at different ages and stages, but they had to do certain things in order to get money. So that from the grave, Robert D. Rockefeller is still telling his great-grandchildren what to do. Is that amazing? Any control freaks in here that are just loving this story? He never rewarded buying liabilities, he's not gonna give you money to go buy a fancy car, The, the trust says flat out. If you marry, I'll give you some money. If you have children, I'll give you some money. If you get a bachelor's degree, I'll give you some money. If you start a business, I will give you some money. If you start a successful charity, I will give you some money. The things that he cared about, he said, I'll give you some money. Brothers and sisters, what if I told you that the Holy Spirit of the living God has told the church in advance the behaviors he's going to bless or not bless? What if it's not a secret? We're gonna unpack for the next seven, six weeks after this, we're gonna unpack the non-secret of our Father's heart for the health and vitality of the church. That's what we're gonna do. There's a family crest. On it are all these beautiful things like devotion to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to fellowship and breaking of bread, a deep sense of awe. And we're gonna explore these things for the sake of being transformed that we're a different church at the end of the seven weeks. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, Lord Jesus, we ask you for the same gift we're always asking. Would you please fill us with your Holy Spirit and transform us because of your word? God, help us to live in authentic community not do the autonomy thing. God, grant us the gift of repentance that we could be changed today, that we'd be hum- humble ourselves so we could wholly agree with you that what you have declared is true. God, help us to be fully submitted to your lordship, believing that Christ is the head of the church and Christ, allow us to give you your full say in the foundation family. The powerful name of Jesus, we pray. God's people said, Amen. When you go pick up your kids, please apologize to the kids' workers. It was Greg's fault.